Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Israel was on a hot streak of obedience. They had faithfully obeyed God throughout the wilderness this current generation had. And they had gotten all the way to the edge of the Jordan River. And they were able to cross because of their faith in God. And then they, they won one of the greatest battles in Israel's history, the Battle of Jericho. But now we come to Joshua chapter 7 and we find that there is a setback. Sin had come into their camp. And as a result, we saw last week that God judged Israel as a group, as a nation, because of this sin, this hidden sin. And this week we're going to see how God judged the individual, Achan. Let's begin reading in Joshua chapter 7 with verse 16. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zerahites. And he brought the family of the Zerahites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household near man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, fifty shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. And then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire. And after they had stoned them with stones, they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, and therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. In this passage today, we're going to see that God exposes sin and God judges sin. God exposes and judges sin. In verses 16 through 23, we see that God exposes sin. He brings it to the light. Because last week we saw that Israel had been punished as a result of Achan's sin. What happened to Israel because there was sin within their camp? Remember, Israel was a covenant community. They had a relationship with God, a covenant that they were supposed to keep with God. And because they disobeyed as a group, their covenant was broken between them and God. And as a result... 
36 people died in battle. They went up to the city of Ai and they tried to beat, to defeat this city of Ai, but they came back retreating from that city, having 36 of their own men dying as a result of Achan's sin. And so God, at that point, hadn't shown them why they had been defeated. This week he will, he will explain that in detail. So the first thing we see under God exposing their sin is that Achan is taken in verses 16 through 18. Achan is taken. This is where we find that the offender, the person who committed this sin, was discovered. And it says that he was from the tribe of Judah. Verse 17, it says that Joshua brought the family of Judah near, and then he took the family of the Zerahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household near man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. In Israel, there was a structure, and I, we talked about this before when we started uh, this study in Joshua. There's basically the structure where God gives his instructions to Joshua. Joshua is the leader of Israel. And then Joshua typically would speak to each of the leaders of the 12 tribes. Remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel, and they would have a leader. Caleb was the leader of Judah. And so Joshua would give his instructions to those leaders of that tribe. Within each tribe is a clan, which is a group of extended families. And within each clan, clan is an extended family. So we could say our immediate family plus all of our relatives would be included in an extended family. And then obviously within the extended family was the immediate family. And so they narrowed it down all the way to, jo- to Achan. But how did Joshua find out that Achan was the man? Look back up at verse 14. In the morning, then, you shall come near by tribes. This is God talking. And he says, And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. Actually, that was Joshua speaking. But he's telling them what the Lord was going to do, how he was going to determine or show them who this offender was. And he does it by lot. So you've heard this throughout Scripture. The most famous one probably is Jonah, right? When he was, when he was uh, trying to leave, try not, trying to go away from Nineveh, he gets on a boat. And uh, he tries to convince the people that the reason that the storm was happening was because he was running away from God, but they didn't want him to throw him over. They thought, we can't do that. You, know, you're, you seem like a nice guy. So what did they do? They drew lots. And it came to, to Jonah, and this was their way of determining what God wanted for them. Joshua also, we will see in chapter 18, will determine the land distribution based on lots. So what exactly is this method of lots, lot casting? Well, this is a method that was used to determine the will of God. And one of the ways that we have a little bit of an idea of how it worked was um, was called the Urim, the Urim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim. These were what is supposed to be possibly stones that were put into the priest's garment. He would keep these probably colored stones, one, one of one color, one of another color. He would keep these stones in his garment. And when he wanted to determine what the Lord's will would, he would ask, he would put these two stones into a bag of some kind and ask the Lord's will of these two stones. He would reach in the bag and say, 
God, do you want me to do this? Ask it yes or no questions. And he would pull out a certain stone and be able to do it. Now, not, now, just anybody could not do this. This wasn't something that just anybody could do. This was something that was given to the priest. And this is how God would often communicate to his people through the priest, through this method of lot casting. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 6, Saul, King Saul was, was the king of Israel at that time. And he is frustrated because he's trying to get God's word to himself. And he said, God, why have you not answered me either by dreams, by the Urim, or by prophets? These were three methods that God would use to speak to his people, wasn't it? God would often speak through prophets. God would speak through dreams. Sometimes God would speak to them directly, but another way in which God spoke to his people in the Old Testament, was through this, these uh, stones called the Urim and the Thummim. And Joshua, even in Numbers chapter 27, was sent to the priest Eleazar to, to determine the will of God by this very same means. So in this case, Joshua would basically go to the priest, get these two rocks, and he would ask of each tribe as they came before him. The first tribe would come, say the tribe of uh, Reuben, and he would say, God, is this the tribe that, that caused this sin? Is this the tribe that's responsible for this sin? He'd reach into the bag and it would say no. It would move, he would move on to the next one, the tribe of Gad, and so on. He'd come to the tribe of Judah, and then the stones would tell him, yes, this is God speaking to his people through, through, these, uh, through this means of lot casting. And then he would take... He has the whole tribe of Judah. He would take each clan, and he would determine, yes, that it is the Zerahite clan that is responsible. Inside the Zerahites, he would find out that it's the family of Zabdi. And then once he got down to the family of Zabdi, he determined that it was the man, Achan. Achan was the man. Now, obviously, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do these, do these methods still work today? Can we cast lots? Should we be using the eight ball, or the Ouija board in order to determine what God wants for us. Obviously, uh, those things have satanic origin, so I would say definitely not. But, but turn, to chapter, turn to Second Peter chapter 1, and I want to show you that because we have the word of God, we no longer need those means. We no longer need God to communicate to us through dreams, we don't need God to communicate to us through prophets, and we don't need God to communicate to us through casting of lots. Second Peter chapter 1, and let's begin reading in verse 2. Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his Divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So Peter, what is not included in, in our determining of, of what God wants for our life and godliness? What is, what is excluded? Peter says nothing is excluded. He says that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We don't need God to come to us through some special dream. We don't need to 
have some special method of asking God, God, is this your will for me or is this? Why? Because he has giving, given us everything that we need here in the word of God. We have it. We have something that is much greater than the Old Testament saints would have had. They did not have a full written law of God. They had progressive revelation. They had revelation from God that was given to them over time and it was being uh, built upon, but they did not have the full word of God like we do today. And so we can be confident that we do not need to put out fleeces like Gideon did. We do not need to cast lots or look to some sort of spirits or horoscopes or any type of psychic readings, which obviously are the devil. We need to look to the word of God and trust that he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Do you believe that he has? If, he, if you do believe that, then you will not look to other means to determine God's will. Turn back to Joshua chapter 7. You will find what God wants for you through the word of God. That is how God speaks to us today. But in Joshua's day, he did use this, this means of casting lots. So Achan was taken. Secondly, we see that Achan is shaken. Verses 19 through 23. They come to, Joshua comes to Achan and he confronts him in verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And so we find in verses 20 and 21 that Achan confesses his sin. And he begins in verse 20 with a general confession of his sin. Look at verse 20. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. Now this sin that, that Achan committed, we'll find out exactly what he did. But the sin that he, could, he committed could have easily been justified. He could have said, listen, God's got plenty of money in the treasury. He doesn't need all this treasury from Jericho. I can take a little bit for myself and help out my family. I mean, I'm doing a good thing here. I'm helping out my family's well-being. What's wrong with that? So he could have easily justified it. But actually what he was doing was, because this treasury that was uh, taken from Jericho, God said that all of the spoils that you get from Jericho are to go into the treasury that the priests are overseeing. That is where the treasury is supposed to go. So who was Achan actually stealing from? Was he saying, well, these, these dead Jericho people, they won't need this money, so I'm not really stealing. Who is he actually stealing from? This money was supposed to go to God's treasury. So as a result, Achan was stealing. He was robbing God. He was taking money that was rightfully and uh, clearly designated for God and his purposes and he was keeping it for himself. And so in, chap in chapter 7 and verse 21, we find that after Achan gives a general confession of his sin, he recognizes that it was an offense to God. Now he recognizes and gives Joshua the specific description of his sin in verse 21. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, 
And I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the, with the uh, silver underneath. The first thing that Achan does is, is he sees the spoil. Verse 21 says, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle. He sees these beautiful things. Well, what does he see? The first thing that he sees is a mantle from Shinar. This is basically a, a costly robe that was probably woven in needlework and perhaps lined with jewels. It was very expensive. And Shinar is a Hebrew word meaning Babylon. So this was a robe that possibly a king had worn and was worth a lot of money and had traveled a long distance and had made, it, made its way all the way to Jericho. And so he saw this robe. And then um, he sees this silver and this gold. We see there that it's 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Today that would be about, in our um, weights and measured, measures, it would be six pounds of silver and one and a quarter pounds of gold. Six pounds of silver today would be worth about $1,650 and one and a quarter pounds of gold would be worth $21,000. So a total of about $23,000 in, um, in these costly metals. Some scholars say, suggest that this treasure is the equivalent of, of how much a person in Israel would earn in an, an entire lifetime. We think of 23000 like, we think we could never make it the rest of our lives on $23,000. But you've got to remember that Israel is an agricultural, primarily, society. So it would not be far-fetched for them to to take this amount of money and be able to use it for the rest of their lives. You think about the continent of Africa. The average person in Africa earns less than $1,000 per year. Less than $1,000. Including places where our missionaries are at. The Hamricks are in Uganda. Their, their country, Uganda, averages $991 in earnings per year. The Ivory Coast, where the Cuthbertsons are, Average nine hundred and the average person nine hundred and twenty dollars per year, and that's not even to mention the other countries like Liberia, Congo, and Somalia, which average less than four hundred dollars per year in earnings. So if you if we could think of Israel in those types of terms in an agricultural society where they're not earning a ton of money, twenty three thousand dollars would be a lot of money to a person living in Africa, and so you can see how great the temptation would be for, for, uh, for Achan. And we say, well, that's good, that, but that doesn't really help me a whole lot. Well, suppose that you had the opportunity to quietly take $1.5 million. Maybe enough money for you to, left, to live for the rest of your life. That is a temptation that could come upon any one of us, and this is the temptation that Achan had. He saw the opportunity, and then the next thing that we see is that he desired them. He said, after it says, a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them. He, des he had a desire for them. The Obviously, the idea of coveting is wrong. Coveting is the desire for something which the person has no right to obtain. And this was one of the Ten Commandments that Israel should have known that they were not allowed to do. They were not allowed to covet. Do not look at something that it seems to be pleasing to you and want it for yourself. 
Put that type of thinking away from you. And so he coveted them. And then we see that he took them. He stole them. He kept them for himself. And after he took them, he concealed them in the earth. He said, it says, And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. He hid them. He stashed them away. And this, this uh, progression in sin is very similar to what we see in Genesis chapter 3 where it says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then later on it says, they hid themselves from God. There's four primary things that we see here, both in the sin of Achan and in the sin of Eve. First, they saw. Then they desired. Then they took. And then finally they concealed or they hid it. They tried to hide. In Eve's case, Adam and Eve, they tried to hide their sin from God. David was the same way in 2 Samuel 11. David saw this woman that was beautiful. He desired her because of her beauty. And then he sent messengers to take her for himself. And then what happens later? He tries to hide his sin by doing what? Killing her husband. First he tries to hide it by making it look like that her baby, that uh, that she, now that she's pregnant, he was trying to, sh to make it look like Uriah actually impregnated her but then after that didn't work he had to kill Uriah and try to cover it up so we need to be careful that when we see something that is desirable that we not uh, wrap our affections around that thing which God says we should not have because the next step is after we desire it is that inevitably we will take it for ourselves and once we've taken it and we'll try to hide it from other people and from God. The other thing that I want you to notice here is how, how Achan responds to his sin. I think he actually does a good thing. First, he, he gives a general confession of his sin. Look at verse 20. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. This is a general confession. Achan is stating, listen, I recognize that my sin is an offense against God. That is the first thing that we should do when we confess our sins to God. We should recognize that God is holy and that he demands perfect righteousness and that we, when we sin, we still must confess it to God. Believing that, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins that he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's not where Achan stops. He doesn't just give a general confession, I'm sorry for all my sins. I'm sorry that I made an offense against God. What does he do? He gives the specifics of it in verse, 20, in verse 21. He states the offense specifically. And I would suggest to you that when you talk to God about your sin, the first thing that you should do is recognize that it is an offense against God. But secondly, you should not stop there. You should state the sin specifically to God. God, this is what I did. I saw this thing. I desire it. I took it. And I concealed it from you. That is how we should confess our sins before God. 
In verse 22, we see that the stolen goods are discovered. In verse 23, we see that the stolen goods are exposed. And so Achan's sin is exposed before the people of Israel and before God himself. And when God exposes sin, he also judges sin. Verses 24 through 26. God judges sin. And we find in verses 24 through 25 that Achan is now forsaken. He is put away from the camp of Israel. Joshua says that your effect on us, Achan, because of your sin, you have troubled us. Verse 25, Joshua said, why have you troubled us? How did Achan trouble the people of Israel? We know from chapter 7, let's look there, verse 3. Let's begin in verse 4. About 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men. That is how Israel was troubled because of Achan's sin. 36 of their men died, and they lost that battle. And as a result, as we saw last week, we saw that, that really Canaan now had an opportunity to defame the name of Israel because now they are, they are beatable. They're no longer invincible like they had been against Jericho. They can be beat. And maybe that's a reflection on what the Canaanites might say. Maybe it's a reflection on their God. That maybe their God is not as great as, as we thought he was. And we find that as a result of Achan's sin, that they are stoned. Verse 25, the second part says, And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Now one of the questions that I was thinking about as I was working through this is, how did Achan's family get involved in this stoning? How did they get involved? First of all, how did they even get across the Jordan? Well, if you remember... The two and a half tribes who were planning to stay on that side of the Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan, their wives and children stayed. All the fighting men went across with all the rest of Israel, but the fighting men were not the only ones that went across the Jordan. The nine and a half tribes, the ones who would be claiming this other side of the Jordan, they, all of their families came along with them. They weren't involved in the battles, only the valiant warriors were. But they were on this other side of the Jordan with them. And so that's how they got across. But why would Achan's family be responsible for Achan's sin? Why would God not just punish Achan by himself and not his whole family? Well, I don't think that Achan's family maybe participated in the sin, meaning I don't know that they actually went and helped him pick out all those things from Jericho and keep them but if he was living in a tent with his immediate family don't you think they would know what was going on now the scriptures don't tell us explicitly but i would suggest that he that these people were accomplices to Achan's guilt they they recognized what Achan was doing and because they they condoned it they were now responsible for it and so all israel ended up stoning them. And this was something that all of Israel did because it was something that was an offense to all of Israel, plus it would give them a way to look back on this and recognize that they should not harbor sin in their own lives. They should put it away from themselves because 
if they did not, if they harbored sin within their lives, then what could happen to them? They could be punished just like Achan and his family. So we find that, they, that God now calls this place the Valley of Achor. In verse 26 at the end it says, Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. This is a place that's hard to determine where it is on the map. But it's probably about eight miles from Jericho, outside of the camp of Israel. And the reason that it was put outside of Israel is so that the people would see that God does not have any room for sin in their lives. Because God hates sin. And so after they stoned him with stones and his family and all of his possessions, and after they burned him with fire, verse 25, then we come to verse 26, and we find that Israel is awakened. Israel is awakened. And they do this by creating a memorial, a heap of stones over, over Achan and his family. Verse 26, they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. This is another memorial that was set up, remember, they had set up a memorial in the middle of the Jordan to remind themselves and their future generations about how great God was to allow them to cross the Jordan. They also set up a memorial in Gilgal where they had, were camping after they crossed the Jordan. And now they're setting up a memorial over these people who had sinned. And this was so that they could be reminded, so that they themselves, the people who were involved in the stoning, could remind themselves that God hates sin and that sin must be dealt with but not just for their own purposes but for the purpose of future generations so that they could come back and look to this valley of Achor and this pile of stones and say why are these stones here what's the purpose of those pile of rocks and their fathers and their mothers could tell them that God hates sin and God judges sin Why would God expose and judge sin? There's five reasons why God exposed their sin. Number one, for the sake of Israel's life. For the sake of Israel's life. Remember, back in, in verse 5, 36 people had died. How many more people would have died if this sin remained in their camp? What if Joshua said, well, I really like Achan and I don't think we should punish him. How many more people would God have allowed to die as a result of them as a result of the nation of Israel harboring this sin? So God exposes sin for the sake of Israel. Number 2, God exposes sin for the sake of Israel's purification. Look what God calls it in verse 13. This idea of getting rid of the sin. Verse 13 says, "Rise up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow." For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. Israel needed to be pure before God. They needed to remove the sin that was keeping them from God's favor. Third reason why God exposed their sin was for the sake of the covenant. When they sinned against God, they actually sinned against the covenant that they had with God. And so to uphold the covenant and and to uphold the blessings that came as a result of that covenant, they had to remove the sin. The sin had to be exposed. Number four, for
for the sake of future generations. We find in chapter 22 and verses 19 through 20 that, that Joshua now is commanding the elders that, these, that they are to look back at Achan and his sin and recognize that God hates it and judges it. And then the last reason for exposing sin is for the sake of God's glory. Look at verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. How? How can I give glory to God, Joshua? Joshua tells him, Tell me what you have done, and do not hide it from me. Achan was actually bringing glory to God by allowing his sin to be exposed, by no longer hiding it. And look what happens in verse 26. They raised over him a great heap of stone that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. God is strongly opposed to sin. And until it is dealt with, his anger will continue because it is vehemently opposed to his perfect plan. When we move outside of God's desire for our lives, then, uh, then God wants us to bring, it, bring us back. And in order to do that, we need to remove our sin. So a couple points of application, and then we'll, we'll finish up here. Number one, God hates sin. Look at verse 1. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. And then look at the end of the verse. Achan took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. God hates sin. And we find in verse 26, then when finally they deal with that sin, what happens? It says, the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. God's anger subsides. God hates sin. Don't think in your mind that God looks over your sin. That, oh, it's okay, I understand. You're human and you make mistakes. God hates it. And number two, God demands that your sin be dealt with. And the way that it was dealt with here is through punishment, through death. Number three, sin may be hidden from others, but it's never hidden from God. Sin is never hidden from God. Don't fool yourselves into thinking that, oh, if I can just keep this from this person in my family, or if I can just keep this from so-and-so. God knows about your sin, and you cannot hide it from you. Be sure that your sins will find you out. Number four, sin has consequences that affect more than just you. How many people died as a result of Achan's one sin? How many people? Well, we know Achan died. Achan's whole family could have been 15 people. Who knows? But who else died as a result of Achan's sin? These men of Israel in verse 5. 36 men. So we find that 50 people died as a result of one person's sin. Your sin affects more than just you. Think about the sin of Adam. How many people have died as a result of Adam's sin? How many? Countless number of people, including the Lord Jesus Christ, died as a result of Adam's sin. Do you think if Adam knew all the consequences of his sin, do you think he would do what he did? Well, we don't know, but 
But our sin affects more than just us. When we look at that sin, when we first want to take it, we think, there's not going to be any that bad of consequences, or I can deal with these consequences. They're not going to be that bad. But God is showing us through this story that our sin affects more than just us. We never see that side of our sin, do we? We never see it until after we've committed it. How many people are affected by your sin? Now, maybe people aren't dying as a result of your sin, but other people are affected by what you do, not just you. Stop thinking about yourself and think about those around you. Number five, get rid of sin. Get rid of sin. If you allow it to hang around, it will destroy you, just like it did for Achan. Ask David. His sin with Bathsheba probably seemed like a pretty innocent thing at the time, but who died as a result of David's sin? His child that Bathsheba had um, given birth to, Amnon, his son, was killed by his other son, Absalom. Absalom was later killed by Joab. Adonijah was also killed. All these people died as a result of David's foolishness. Your sin, if you allow it to hang around, it will destroy you. Ask Solomon. Ask Judas Iscariot. Ask Ananias and Sapphira how sin affected them. God exposes and judges sin. Don't let sin destroy you. In many cases, we can avoid sin by, by avoiding the very first thing in that progression of sin. Remember I said first Achan saw and then he desired, then he took and then he concealed. We can avoid that very first step. Do you realize that? Now sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can't avoid what we see or what people tell us. But what we can avoid certainly is that second step. We can avoid desiring it and wanting it. I'll tell you some ways that you can avoid seeing different things. Seeing something that is sinful. Obviously, you can avoid it by not watching certain TV shows or certain websites, going to certain websites or going down certain um, roads or whatever it is. You say, well, I can't help it. I see those things. Those things come into my mind. I I mean, obviously, I'm going to think about them. I can't help it. Well, obviously, it's as simple as not watching those things. Don't justify what you're doing just because um, it's easy to. Just because that is our nature. We try to justify it and put it away. Stop watching things. Stop looking at things that you should not be looking at. That is a good way to avoid sin from the outset. And then you might say, well, with regard to my desires, the second step, second progression in sin, I can't control what I want. I can't control my appetites. My appetites control my mind. It forces me what to think. It forces me what to do. And as a result of my desires, I want something, and I, and I take it. I can't help it. I can't change my tastes, my desires. But the Bible teaches something completely different. The Bible teaches us that our minds must control our desires. Our minds must control our appetites. Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not let it reign. It will become your master. You will be enslaved to it so that you obey it. 
don't desire it. What evil desire is out of control in your life? What is it that is controlling you? Are you being controlled by the Spirit of God through His Word? Or are you being, or are you being controlled by sin? I would suggest to you that you need to get rid of your sin because it will master you and it will ultimately destroy you. For those of you who don't know Christ, maybe you find yourself struggling with these same things. The story of Achan helps you to see that God does not overlook sin. He demands that it is dealt with. There's only two ways that your sin can be paid for. Two ways that your sin can be paid for. One is by you paying for it in an eternity in hell forever. That is one way you can pay for your sin, because God demands that your sin be paid for. The other way is by allowing Jesus Christ to take your sin. By trusting in Him, in Him, by repenting of, turning away from your sin, and turning, him in, turning to Him in faith, recognizing that there is nothing within ourselves that can save us. No good thing we do can bring us to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? Only what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And if you want your sins to be paid for in another way other than in hell, then you need to have Jesus Christ pay for your sins. And I can gladly say to you today that Jesus Christ has made the payment for your sin, but you have to turn to him in repentance and faith. For Christians, the story of Achan is a helpful illustration of how rebellion against God's desire is not tolerated by him. He judges sin. It results in his displeasure. He removes his favor and he withholds his success from his people until they get rid of that sin. Think of the former generation that had died in the wilderness. God had promised to Abraham's uh, descendants that they would receive this land. And this generation, this former generation that died, could have taken it if they would have trusted in God. But because they disobeyed Him, because they did not trust Him, God withheld His promise until He, he had a generation that would obey Him. Are you removing yourself from God's favor by harboring sin in your life? God is teaching us that we need to get rid of it. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we're thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful for how you help us to expose our sin. And we, are, uh, we stand in shame at times because we, we, we do take our sin and we take pleasure in it. And we go long periods of times time without even bringing it before you we think that we can get away with it we think that you will overlook it but we know that as believers we need to confess it and forsake it because how can we continue in something that you have bought us out of how can we continue in sin when you have bought us out of sin with jesus blood and as unbelievers Sin needs to be paid for, and I pray that if there are any who do not know you as their Savior, they would recognize their need of Jesus Christ, their need that for Jesus Christ to pay for their sins. We pray that you'd help them to come to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.